0: life of service, and I'm so grateful that we're part of a community of faith, a congregation that really gets that. Uh, I think historically, and Christine and I have been here coming up nine years, we've seen this community serve, and especially serve one another. It's a huge value in this community of faith, and I so deeply appreciate it. Even as we're coming out of COVID restrictions and entering back in, trying to ramp things up again, uh, I remember a time when When COVID hit and there was a whole bunch of restrictions, it was me and Samuel and Eric rattling around in this place. Everybody had to be at home and it was a little lonely for a time there. Uh, We had kind of the run of the building and that was not a good thing. We ended up leaving stuff all over the place. And one day we said, hey, we got to clean this mess up before people get back here. I won't say what we left around, but we had a bit of a party. No, we didn't have a party, but it's so good to see people coming back and stepping up and serving again. And so this last week, I asked some of our leaders and uh, Pastor Samuel, Pastor Eric, to say, how many people are serving currently? Like, how many positions do we need when we think about elders and trustees and finance and our human resources committee? When we think about our, our youth and volunteers and our children's volunteers and, and worship and tech team and greeters and kitchen and, and all of that, and even our day camp that we just ran, do you know how many positions that requires? 132. That's amazing. Now, mind you, some people serve in more than one position. I mean, it's good to have Doug Gold back. He, he occupies about 82 of those positions. <laughs> it's good to have you back, Doug, and good to have the Guatemala team back as well. But isn't it amazing what it takes uh, just to serve one another, be in this place, and pursue the mission that God is giving us? So my encouragement is there's a place for you. There's a place for you to serve in this community, and that's a wonderful way in order to understand and feel what we're about and what God is calling us to do. Well, as I was reflecting on that, I was also reflecting this week on the fact that, for me at least, it's strange not to have the queen around anymore. Queen Elizabeth, she's gone, it's so strange, kind of surreal as I've been thinking about it. It's, it's not that I saw her on a regular basis. I mean, it's not like I waved to her heading to the office on, you know, weekday mornings or anything like that, but she, for better or for worse, she was part of the fabric of our lives, part of the fabric of the world for a very long time, wasn't she? It was interesting that one thing that was noted in her passing, was that she lived a life of service, which is really a commendable thing. Well, life of service happens to be one of the core values here at Bonavista Baptist Church. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to live a life of service, even if you don't have a thousand servants to help you. So uh, we're not the queen, but we do have to live a life of service. So our mission here, and especially if you're new or just getting familiar with Bonavista Baptist Church, our mission is this to invite, equip, and encourage people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And that's not terribly unique, is it? I mean, as we think about other churches that we might attend and know about, they all have a statement that's kind of similar. And that's a good thing, because the statement is really just a reflection, an echo, of what Jesus gave to the church to make disciples. And we do that, we want to make disciples of Jesus, because we really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we believe that if we actually live that out, that this world, that our families, that our communities would be better for it. And so that's our goal, that's our mission. In order to do that, we've agreed to these values, that we're going to develop a passion for Christ, primarily through worship. That we're going to develop a heart for people through our small groups and our connections. And we're going to develop a life of service, primarily through local and global mission. That's our values, and that's what we're living out. So two weeks ago, we talked about a passion for Christ. And one of the ways that we want to develop that, one of the vision, part of the vision during this season of ministry life together, is that we will make prayer our default response. That we're going to make prayer our default response. So if we're celebrating, if we've got something to celebrate, let's pray. If we're in crisis and we don't know what to do, let's pray. So instead of making prayer our last resort response, as a community and as individuals, we want to make prayer our default response, our first response when things come our way. And we're doing that because we want to develop a passion for Christ. You see, when we pray, we acknowledge, first of all, that we either need help or we owe gratitude. And when we pray, we acknowledge that Jesus is near and can help us or receive our gratitude. And so we develop a passion for Christ through prayer. Our second uh, value that we talked about last week is a heart for people. In a heart for people, we want to create a space where everyone is known. Now, this can, be, this can be very risky. Now, some people just love to be known. They're extroverts, right? Uh, you're going to know them whether you want to or not. They're just in the room, and they're going to let you know all about it. There's others that are a little bit more introverted and they would rather, even in a group like this, uh, just jet right out of here after the service. I understand that. And so we have to create a space where, where people are ready to be known at their own pace and in their own time and in their own way. But the idea is this, even looking around today, it's impossible for us to know everyone, but it is possible for us to create a space where everyone is known. That's the difference. And we want to do that as we create safe places to share our stories so that this can be a place where we are known by someone. That's so important, especially as we come out of COVID restrictions and isolation and hiding behind our laptops and our devices. And as we begin to come out and actually interact with real people in the real world, we want to create a safe space where people can be known for who they are and be accepted because of that. So those are things that we're working toward. that's part of the vision. So what does it look like to embody a life of service, this third value uh, that we have today? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. That's at the heart of Jesus. Serving others is at the heart of Jesus. If we want to be like Jesus, We need to learn to serve. He came as the Son of God. He came as God in the flesh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what did he say? I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve others. And that's the model that we have in Jesus. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about power. As you read through the Gospels, try and pick that out. Try and note it. Jesus talked a lot about power and what we're meant to do if we have power. And all of us, this might be news to some of you, because you don't always feel very powerful, all of us have power. And what Jesus says is that if we have power, we need to use it to serve others. That's how what we're meant to do with power. The disciples didn't get this very well. They were a little bit dense, which I love the fact that the disciples in the New Testament, and the Gospels are a little bit dense, because that's how I feel when it comes to following Jesus sometimes. They didn't get it. At one point, in fact, they sent their mummy to try and negotiate seats of power with Jesus. And the mummy went and said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on the, the right and the other sit on the left? They totally didn't get what Jesus was doing with power. And I think it's true of us as individuals, but also the church historically has done awful things with Power. In fact, when the church is in power, we tend to do destructive things. We tend to do oppressive things. We actually just came through, as many of you know, of course, Friday and the Truth and Reconciliation, a day set aside to remember that. And we think about the residential school system and a time in Canadian history when the church was given certain power. And what did the church do with it? We used it to oppress others. What would have happened if the church took the gospel seriously and used that power to serve the indigenous community around us? I think the story would be very different as we're sitting here today. We always have to keep that in mind when we have power, whether it's in leadership in the church, whether it's in leadership in our family, in our communities, with our children, that we learn to serve others with the power we have. That's what Jesus taught. And if you don't like it, talk to him. Um, I didn't make this up. (laughs) Galatians chapter 5 shows us that the early church began to understand this. It's a different way of living in the world, isn't it? Galatians 5 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. What a great verse. People love to talk about freedom today, don't they? You may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom if you've watched Braveheart. Um, But today, when we use the word freedom, I think sometimes what we're yelling is, Anarchy! (laughs) Do what we want and live our lives as we please. That's not a biblical concept of freedom. Freedom is another form of power, isn't it? And this is what it says in Galatians 5, For you've been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your own cravings. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. What does it look like to use our freedom to serve others, and to serve others in love. That's what we're called to as we talk about a life of service. This is not easy, (laughs) this is difficult, and it's something that we're called to if we want to be like Jesus. Life of service modeled by Jesus, and it's essential to learn if we're going to be like him. That's what we're called to do together as individuals, but also as a community here at Bonnevis the Baptist. Well, today we're turning again to the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews explores how Jesus is greater than the old covenant and all the things in it. And it's because Jesus is not the shadow, Jesus is the real thing. And so Hebrews really expounds on that. But Hebrews also shows that Jesus used this idea of being greater than in order to serve. In fact, in order to give his life for others. And that's part of the the book of Hebrews. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And this is right at the end, a typical uh, ancient letter writing style. At the very end, you put your greetings, you put final exhortations, uh, you put a few other, you know, last minute jabs at people, uh, whatever you need to get in, in the last few moments. But uh, you also give some practical advice. And this is what happens in Hebrews 13. And what I love about the passage we're about to read, is it gives us a great description of the servant community. It gives us a great description of the characteristics of a healthy church. And so listen as we read this. Hebrews 13, verse one. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated, as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral, and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I'll have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. What an amazing description, isn't it? Isn't it an incredible description of what to look for in a healthy church? As some people here, even today, might be church shopping. It happens from time to time. I think when we, when we came to Calgary, for the first time almost nine years ago, we had to find a local church. For the first time in Christine's life, because her dad was a pastor and she married a pastor. She didn't learn, by the way. She married into the pastorate. Um, but for the first time in her life, she had to find a church to belong to. We end up here. We end up here because of the characteristics that we found in this community. But what do you look for when you go to a church? Do you look for, you know, a center aisle? I want a church that has a center aisle. <laughs> I want a church that has an active youth program. I mean, that might be good, but is, is it the essential part? I, I want a church that has pews and not chairs. I want a church that sings hymns and not new songs. I want a church that serves whatever it is. You, you have all kinds of ideas of what the church might be. Well, maybe here is a better list. It is found in Hebrews chapter 13. Here are some of the characteristics of what to look for in the church. A church that has the characteristic of family. To love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Family. A church that exhibits empathy. To remember the prisoners and those who are oppressed as if the pain is in our own body. That's the kind of church we're looking for. To look for a church that values purity that we honor marriage and we strive to be faithful in those marriages, right? And other ideas of purity. A church that values simplicity, that we're not chasing after money, but rather we're trusting in God and we don't love the bottom line, right? And a church that recognizes authority, the kind of authority where we honor our leaders, where we support them and we follow them. All these ideas, family, empathy, purity, simplicity, authority. This is the description we're given of the healthy community that we want to be part of. But there's one that I want to focus on today. And this is what what applies to having a life of service. And the one I want to focus on is this, hospitality. That the community that we're looking for and the community that we want to foster is a community that values hospitality. This is what the verse says. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Now that's not great motivation for me because I'm a little afraid of angels. But we'll get into the story in just a minute. In fact, that whole reference to angels is meant to cast back our mind to the Old Testament. And it's meant to remind us of who? Abraham. And some of you know the story of Abraham. Abraham who welcomed three guests, right? Do you remember the story a little bit? Uh, Abraham was just sitting, minding his own business one day, and he saw three guests. He didn't wait for the guests to come to him. What did he do instead? He went to them. And at great cost to himself, he sacrificed an animal, and he offered them a full meal. I mean, it wasn't like he just went through McDonald's drive through and gave them something to eat. I mean, this would take a whole day. This was a major effort. And these were strangers. He had no idea who they were. And as he welcomes them in, he begins to realize they're more than just mere mortals. In fact, at least a couple of them are angels. The third one might have been a, a pre-incarnate experience of the Son of God. <laughs> I mean, this was pretty significant as Abraham welcomes these people into his house. We also know, if we follow through the story, that it's a very different story when two of those visitors go down to a city called Sodom, isn't it? And so we have this juxtaposition, we have this comparison between Abraham, who offers impeccable hospitality to the strangers, and Sodom, well, didn't, right? There's still children present in here, so I won't get into what Sodom wanted to do with the strangers who came into the house. It's awful, it's terrible. It's a horrible story that's found in Scripture, but it's meant to remind us of what happened here. The city was not hospitable to them, and ultimately the city is destroyed. Why? Why was Sodom destroyed? This gets very personal for us. Ezekiel chapter 16, listen to this. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and they did not help the poor and the needy. What? Do we know any other culture in the world that uh, is sometimes arrogant and unconcerned, overfed, (laughs) not helping the poor and the needy? When we read the story of Abraham and Sodom, we suddenly realize, hey, these fingers are pointing at us. We have to be very careful that we don't fall into the same trap in our affluence, in our influence, in the the ability that we have because of the power that we have in society, that we don't behave as Sodom. So the sin of Sodom was not homosexuality. The sin of Sodom was inhospitality. They were inhospitable. And that's an indictment To all of us who live in affluent societies. And so this is a tough story for us to swallow, but it's very important for us to face as we go through this. Well, this idea of welcoming the stranger, of being hospitable, is so important that it was actually made into law under Moses. And if you turn back to your favorite book in the Bible, which I know is Leviticus, chapter 19, listen to what it says. When a stranger or foreigner resides among you in your land, then abuse them and make them your slave. It doesn't say that, does it? (laughs) It says, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. Why? Because you were foreigners in Egypt, weren't you? And it wasn't great. It wasn't a great experience being in Egypt because you were made into slaves. So do better. Treat the other people as you want to be treated. So treat them as you would yourself. Love them. What a great message for me, for all of us, as we see the demographics in our communities changing. How do we treat those who are classified as stranger or foreigner or different from us, right? There's a very clear mandate in Scripture. It's unmistakable. We are to act in hospitality. So the story of Abraham, the law of Moses, and the language in this verse in Hebrews all drives home one key point of hospitality. Because when we hear hospitality, we think of, I don't know, going to the Banff Springs Hotel because it's part of the hospitality industry or something like that. But that's not the biblical understanding of hospitality. The key point in all these things I've been sharing is this. Hospitality has to do with strangers, with people we don't yet know. That's the core of a hospitality. Fellowship is one thing. Fellowship is when we enjoy the company of one another, when we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important. But there's another dimension to serving others, and that's the dimension of loving the stranger. The word hospitality in Greek is made up of two words kind of mushed together, xenia and philo is a word that's used for love. Xenia is a, use, a word that's used for stranger. It's not stranger love. That's not the idea. It's the love of the stranger. is the idea of hospitality, literally meaning the love of the stranger. We use a word today, fairly commonly, xenophobia, which means that we have an unrealistic uh, fear of the stranger. Well, this is the antidote to it. It's philoxenia hospitality, the love of the stranger, the love for those who are different from us. Now, I've shared this story before and I'm gonna share it again because every time I think of hospitality, I think of my mom. Some of you know what's coming a little bit, but my mom, who's not doing great these days, and you can pray for her as she struggles with some failing health, uh, but my mom in her day, She was the epitome of hospitality. One day, uh, she was driving through the Okanagan in our Chevy Nova, which I wish we still had, and uh, she was driving through in the Nova, and she loved that car uh, because it had a small block V8 in it, and she could blow people away at the stoplights. I'm not kidding you. She had a lead foot. Um, But as she was going, she saw a hitchhiker, and as was her habit, she picked him up. Now, I'm not advocating for this or recommending it to you, but this is what my mom did, drove my dad crazy. It just happened that this particular hitchhiker was Scottish, uh, from Glasgow. My mom, my dad, brothers, all from Glasgow. And so that, I guess, made it okay. (laughs) And so God talking to him and realized that he was in uh, the Okanagan area for the whole summer, but also realized that he had three buddies down the road from him who were also hitchhiking. So what did my mom do? All four of them, she picked up. And didn't just drop them off at the destination. She brought them home. Now, we already have five boys in the house. What's another four? I mean, bring it, right? And they didn't just stay for dinner. They stayed for the summer. Okay, so, but during that time, of course, because you don't get to come into my mom's car or into her house without hearing about Jesus. And two of them became followers of Jesus during that time. And she's still in touch with them today, 45 years later. She still writes to them. She still prays for them. She even talked to one on the phone just the other week. That's what I have in mind when I hear the story of hospitality, of making room for the stranger. Now, I'm not suggesting, please hear me clearly. Don't go out looking for hitchhikers today. Uh, We live in a different time, perhaps. And even back then, it wasn't always advisable, right? But it's, it's the spirit of the thing. This is what we're getting at. Just as my mom made room in her car and in our house for strangers, so we are called to show hospitality when we make room in our lives for the other. When we make room in our lives for someone who is other from us. That's how we show hospitality. And it's costly and it's risky and we are called to do it both individually and together to make room. So hospitality is not about serving up a nice meal and having some friends over for a visit. That's wonderful, keep doing that. Do that a lot, that's great. But hospitality takes serving others to a whole new level. Hospitality is about serving the stranger, about making room in our lives for those who look different, think differently, live differently from us. It's about creating space in our lives in our language, in our systems, in our structures, for those who are other. That's hard. That's hard as a congregation, as a church. It's hard individually too. I believe it's what we're called to do. Do you know that the current uh, metro population of Calgary is pegged now at 1.6 million people? That's the current sort of metro population. So a little bit of the surrounding area, 1.6 million people. Now I know Eric McComish has been here since birth and some of you have, but even he doesn't know 1.6 million people. And some of you know a lot more than I do and that Christine does because we're fairly new to Calgary still, at least it feels that way. But here's the good news. There's a lot of strangers out there to love. There's a lot of strangers to love. I mean, we can view that in different ways. We can view that as terrifying. We can view that as, oh no, I need to move somewhere where it's quiet and where I know everybody. Or we can view it as, God has placed us in this city for a reason. And we've got a lot of strangers to love. What a wonderful opportunity that we have in this place. So if we're going to live a life of service, then we need to practice hospitality. We need to love the strangers in our own city, even in our own communities. That's a challenge for us, but it's part of the gospel that we need to live out. And I think we're already doing this in many ways. We're welcoming other churches into this space. I think that's an act of hospitality, isn't it? There's four churches meeting in this building throughout the week, and it can be a little chaotic. It can sometimes be frustrating. It uh, has additional wear and tear on the staff and ministry leaders and on the building. It's the right thing to do because we're offering this as an act of hospitality, welcoming people in. I think of our connection with the mustard seed or the Calgary Pregnancy Care Centre or our refugee response or brown bagging for Calgary kids. In all these ways... We are helping strangers, people that we may never meet, people that certainly can't pay us back. This is the way that we are serving the community, but I think we still need to do more. And so part of the vision for a life of service is this, that we together will seek the well-being of this city. In fact, that we will seek the well-being of our own neighborhood, that we will look for ways to serve, And it's not just a one and done, it's a constant attitude of offering hospitality to the strangers who are walking around us all the time. May God give us insight and wisdom and clarity in how to do that well. Well, Queen Elizabeth, let's get back to her since I started uh, with the Queen. Uh, Her speech on her 21st birthday, April 21, 1947, was broadcast on the radio from Cape Town, South Africa. Some of you know this, and maybe can even hear her accent and her voice. I won't try and mimic it. Here we go. She said, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Well, some people belong, not all, but that was her heart of service, wasn't it? I think it is good to treat our friends and family well. But a true life of service is when we remember to treat the stranger with love. Let's pray together. Father, in many ways, it's easy for us to say these words, to read the words, to even sing the words. But Father, we want to be people who live the words. We need your help. We need your help to overcome some of the fear and anxiety that we have about people who are other some of the fear and anxiety we have about our own, maybe, backgrounds or our own um, desires, our own cultural expectations, and make room and to love the stranger. Father, we recognize there's a risk in this, and yet it is the way of Jesus. So give us wisdom and help us to do it well. But Father, there's also such an excitement in this, such a possibility, that all around us are people who have needs, that we can meet with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to lift up our eyes, to look beyond the walls of this building, to look beyond the enclosure of our own hearts, so that we might make room in our lives for others. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.